0: As we enter the extended third act of the NFL offseason, the Seahawks arrow appears to be pointing straight up. After a widely acclaimed draft class, Seattle focuses its attention on developing its young players and plugging the remaining holes in the roster. We're here for a vibes check with one of the goats of Seattle sports media, Bob Condota of the Seattle Times. Let's light him up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my frisky producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts podcast. Mike, how are we doing today?
1: Doing great, Jackson. We're in mid-May, a few weeks removed from the draft. The rookies are suiting up. I have fully crystallized opinions about jersey numbers without ever having (laughs) seen them touch grass, so... Yeah, man. Feeling great. How
0: are you? That's, that's a very important aspect of team building. I, it I agree. It is. Man, I'm, I'm doing great. It's been three weeks since the draft. And while most teams still have plenty of maneuvering to do, the bulk of roster construction has been completed. And we've got the perfect guest to talk about this with. And I can't wait to get his thoughts on how the vibes this year match up with those from previous seasons. But before I do that, I want to remind everyone listening that the official Cigar Thoughts cigars are now available for purchase at CigarThoughtsNFL.com. Direct links to order them will be in the notes on the show page as well. So feel free to click that from whichever platform you're listening to us on. As we announced earlier, the cigars are made from a blend of premier Dominican tobacco leaf that has been aged 13 years and are available to Cigar Thoughts listeners for less than half of their normal MSRP. Uh, do this for yourself because they're excellent stogies and also do it to help support the show. The delivery is speedy and we've already received some really impressive feedback from those of y'all who have bought them. So thank you for that. It means the world to us. We've also launched our YouTube channel where you can catch entire episodes as well as video clips from every show. This is one of the best ways you can support Cigar Thoughts, so we're grateful for the few seconds it'll take you to subscribe. Really, really do appreciate that. Now, Mike and I have been looking forward to having today's guest on for a long time. He was one of the very first people I ever followed on Twitter when I joined, and he's been an invaluable resource for Seahawks fans for many years. Joining us in the Cigar Lounge is a man who covers the Seahawks for the Seattle Times and who co authored the book If These Walls Could Talk Stories from the Seattle Seahawks Sidelines, Locker Rooms, and Press Box with Dave Wyman. He is the inimitable Bob Condota. Bob, thanks for coming in.
1: Sure, yeah. Thanks for having me. I, well, I guess you guys already made clear you're doing well, so I want to ask how you're doing. But uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, man, we're we're really stoked to have you here. And, you know, the the draft is still fresh in everyone's mind, and it has received overwhelmingly positive reviews from most of the national media. We spent, as you have, a lot of time breaking down the individual picks. So I want to zoom out a little bit and talk about the feelings among Seahawks decision makers kind of leading up to the draft. You know, Pete Carroll and John Schneider were wielding more firepower. This year, than in any year since their first in Seattle, and I think the fact that they had the fifth pick thrust them into the middle of the league-wide draft conversation. Now, to many of us, it looked like they really leaned into that process and, and sort of welcomed the moment. What impression did you get in the time from the combine up until the draft in terms of how they were approaching everything?
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, uh, they really enjoyed the process. They enjoyed picking <laughs> picking that high. Um, you know, we saw the, the whole uh, QB selfie tour, which, um, you know, there was definitely some, uh, you know, tongue-in-cheek stuff with, with, with those pictures and everything. But I do think they... You know, they, they always knew they weren't going to get those top two quarterbacks and, and I, they weren't going to try to, I, I think, he'd make any major move to do that. So, you know, some of that was in having fun. But I do think they entertained the idea of, well, if something bizarre happens and one of those guys falls there, especially if Anthony Richardson had fallen at five. I do think they would have had a, a tougher decision than, may, than maybe has been portrayed. Um but again, I I'm, you know the, once it got to draft time, I think they penciled out he probably was going to be there either. But for sure, yeah, they really enjoyed the process. I think it you know it wasn't just having five, but having four of the top fifty-two. I think really yeah. allowed them to to just really kind of look at all these guys and realize we've got a lot of options here that we're going to be able to we're going to be able to do. And it's not just you know picking once it you know, sixty-three or something like that, where you where you just are spending so much time waiting for guys to come off and you and you know, you don't know for sure what you what you can do or whatever. But I think, you know, that allowed them to specifically target some things.
0: Totally. And and I wonder, you know, there's there's so many permutations when you're that high up in the draft, right? Like you're number five was kind of a, a fulcrum pick for a lot of teams. Um, I think we saw in real time the shock of Detroit Lions when Seattle selected Devin Witherspoon, which it sounds like he was their guy. And there was nothing indicating that Witherspoon wasn't going to be there at six. Seattle did a phenomenal job of kind of keeping wraps on uh, their intentions there. But, you know, granted, they, like I said, they had more firepower in terms of draft capital this year than in years past. But it also felt just aside from that, like the last this year, certainly and even the last couple of years, their approach to the draft has been a lot different than in years past. Is that something that you notice in covering this team?
1: Well, for sure. I, you know, I mean, the minute they made the Russell Wilson trade, they sort of, I I always viewed it as they knew this was a two year process with the, you know, getting obviously two first round picks, two second round picks in each of those years, they knew they had that. And so last year, when they you know knowing we've got these picks next year and and with the quarterbacks that might be available you know that's that's why i don't think they ever thought about a quarterback last year um then i kind of turned that i think that's turned out to be a good thing because i'm not sure that i mean i think that their assessment of that quarterback class not being that great but you know the early returns sort of look that way um but i think they they all along viewed it as a two-year thing to use all these picks to really rebuild the roster and in a way that they wanted and so that's why you know we saw we saw them last year attack the attack the tackle positions and and uh and and, you know, in quarterback and and uh, um, and and rush in a little bit, and you know some of the things they did there. They really they really targeted some specific things. And while they will say they weren't going after need, it's obvious that they were trying to do some of both. And they can sort of say they weren't going for need because when you have that many picks in those spots, you can sort of go best player available. But best player available also at a spot that's really going to help us. And uh, Um, you know, so when they did what they did last year, that allowed them to then this year, you know, be able to to be able to do the things they, you know, they took two offensive linemen, but neither were tackles, obviously, because they, they took tackles last year. So they didn't need to do that again. Um, and, uh, um, and, and, the success of last year's class as well and some of the other things they did sort of allowed them, I think, this year to do a little more best player available, which is why, you know, the, the Witherspoon pick, which, um, as you as you rightly point out, um, you know, they, they did a nice job of, of, of keeping their interest in, in Witherspoon a little bit on the down low. And uh, they did have everybody in the NFL sort of thinking they were probably going to be the team to take Jalen Carter. And, um, you know, I don't I don't think they ever I don't think they I, I think. At what's I think they considered that idea at some point in the process. I don't think it was totally off the table at certain points in the process. But once it got to draft day, I think it was. I don't think they were gonna they were gonna take him at five ever. And uh, you know, I think that was a decision they had made going into it. And once the draft came and Witherspoon was there, I think it was a pretty easy call for them. But for sure, yeah, they that was that was sort of a we feel like we felt like this was the best player available at that time in the draft and had a spot that could, that can really help us. And, um, you know, so I just, the freedom, I think that they sort of had the flexibility they had with having hit on so many of the picks last year, allowed them this year to go a little more that way. But again, also having, you know, for the top 52, I think they did have some things they wanted to get done with those picks, especially, especially at, um, you know, getting a rush in, which they did again with Derek Hall. There were some yeah. things like that. They knew they had, they, they wanted to do early on. And it was just a matter of which guy falls to them at which spot to make it, to, to make it make sense.
0: Yeah. You know, did you get a sense at all that they were anticipating a trade back or got any offers when they were sitting at five?
1: They they definitely had some offers and I think they definitely considered it. Um, you know, as John, as John Schneider said later, there were a couple of guys that they were not going to trade down for. I think two of those guys were Will Anderson and who I think they thought there was some scenarios where maybe that could happen, where he'd be available there. And then Witherspoon was the other. And I, I think I I think if Witherspoon hadn't been there, I I think they would have considered some trade downs because I think there were a couple other guys they viewed just as highly as those guys and not Jalen Carter, by the way. And I don't think Terry Wilson was either, but I think there were a couple other guys they really liked that. They thought that if they, that if those two guys weren't going to be there at five, maybe we could move to eight or nine or whatever. And we could get that guy and then get a lot more draft capital. But um you know it's interesting there was so much talk about that they were going to trade down but if you look at their history when they've had really high picks they've kept them you know they they kept yep. it in 2010 it took Russell Okung they kept it last year when they had a top 10 pick it took Charles Cross you know they 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 always they always sort of and i don't remember if john said the exact number of guys they had first round grades on this year it was 14 or 16 or whatever um but it, I think they really felt like with the fifth pick, we really do want to add an elite talent to the team. And so it wasn't just an idea that maybe we trade down just to accumulate a bunch more second or third round picks. I think they felt like this is a rare opportunity to draft that high and to get a player we feel like could be the best in the NFL or one of the best in the NFL at a really premier position. So I think it was going to take a lot for them to want to trade down, but I do think they thought about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, on our last show, we had Doug Ferrar on and, he referenced a, a conversation that he had had with B. Carroll and John Schneider at the Combine. And they had talked about, like, without saying it exactly like this, they realized they would kind of started to get cute in the post-LOB years, right? You know, they had a team full of start, like their starting lineups were set. It was a really difficult starting lineup for any rookie to come in and, and crack. And, you know, picking late in the first round. Uh, but, you know, they had a lot of picks that, left a lot of us going, why are they using such a high pick on this guy? And uh, a lot of those just didn't pan out. And so uh, I, I think it's encouraging as a Seahawks fan and as you know as someone who's writing about this team and, and wants to see them be interesting and good, that they've stuck and picked the best player on their board when that guy's been there.
1: For sure. That's And that's a good point about... That they like in 2013, 14, 15, some of those years, they had so many good players at spots that you weren't really going to take the best player available if it was a cornerback and have him compete with Richard Sherman or whatever <laughs> because he's probably you know he's probably not going to be better than Richard Sherman. He's just going to sit behind Richard Sherman or whatever. So you weren't. So I I do think the fact that their roster maybe had a few more needs these last couple of years has made it a little bit easier to sort of meld best player available slash a spot that really makes sense for us to take a player because you didn't have as many, you know, they haven't had as many really all pros on their team and, and things like that in the last few years where it's like, yeah, we're, we're, you know, there's, you know, there was no reason to take a middle linebacker for a decade. Right. I mean, you weren't going right. to, you, you flat out just weren't going to do that because you had Bobby Wagner. Um, you know, you weren't going to take a quarterback because you had Russell Wilson. Um, so I, the fact that you, we saw sort of that the, that the transition there i think has made it a little bit easier or has maybe open has opened their draft board up a little wider to positions where they would want to take guys so you know i think that was some of the the issue with a, a few of those years where they felt like yeah okay the best player available might be this guy you know it might be a middle linebacker but why would we do that when, and just have him and just have him kind of you know compete with Bobby Wagner when we just signed Bobby Wagner to a huge contract or whatever. So, um, so I I think it, I think it kind of compelled them a little bit to maybe reach for some guys at some, at some spots. Um, And, you know, they had, I I think, I I think maybe they would admit that they had had so much success Sort of taking what were perceived as some gambles in, in the middle rounds on some guys like Sherman and Cam Chancellor and yeah. guys that you know were perceived as uh, as kind of not necessarily risk, but just guys who would fall into those spots because people weren't sure and I, I think they I think they. Kept wanting to kind of replicate that a little bit, like you know, I think there were some guys they took that were like, we see something out of this guy that nobody else sees, and that worked before for us, but that can that can be a little bit hard to keep doing. And so I, I do think they've, I, I do think they've refined it a little bit the last few years, where they've, you know, they've really taken a lot of guys who've had really significant college production and so you know a lot of guys who do come here with you know uh really kind of proven backgrounds of of having had success i think you know you saw that last year with you know guys like ken walker and uh um you know charles cross obviously you know abraham lucas had had a great career at washington state i mean guys who had done a lot and so you at least had a real background to go on there
0: you know uh the seahawks have taken a lot of heat for trading first round picks for you know more established players over the last i guess 10 years now and and i wonder just as we're talking about it how much having a roster that is so difficult for a rookie to crack uh played into the decisions to trade for top tier talents like Percy Harvin, Jimmy Graham, Jamal Adams even if the integration of those players into the team didn't go as planned do you think that that was just more of like hey these these are positions where you know we don't need a ton of depth right now. We want to fill out this one last spot with this top end type of talent. And, you know, we're, we're willing to risk those first round picks just to, just to put the last piece in the puzzle.
1: For sure. I I mean, I mean, obviously, the Percy Harvin trade is is among the most notable of those. And I think that was just a a thing that coming off that 2012 season, they felt like, man, if we can add a really elite playmaker, you know, I think they felt like at that time, the defense was pretty much set. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, you had a quarterback, you had a running back in Marchand and things like that. You know, the, the whole thing that the receiver core was pedestrian, was regretted as pedestrian at the time. I mean, that was part of what led to Harvin was I think they just felt like, uh, man, this guy could be, you know, uh, just such an elite talent if we can fit him in here. And maybe we don't have to lean on him quite as much as Minnesota had or had or whatever. If we can just kind of fit him in in, in different ways, he can he can really do that for us. And then, you know, the Jimmy Graham trade. I still think some of that was a reaction to what had happened in the Super Bowl where, you know, it got to that point and because of some injury situations that they'd had and, and things like that going into that game, um, you know, when it, it, when, you know, you're throwing to Ricardo Lockett in, in one of the key plays in franchise history, I think they felt like, well, if we right. can add, you know, a guy like Jimmy Cram to that, if we ever have a situation like that again, you know, we'll be, we'll, you know, that's one of the, that's, you know, we'd rather be thrown to a guy like Jimmy Graham maybe than um, you know, than what's our third or fourth receiver or whatever. So I, I think there was I think that I, I think there were some really specific things that played into that. But you know, the story they always told on the Graham trade too was that just kind of came out of the blue. You know, New Orleans was having issues with with Graham and his contract and he sort of wanted out, and so he suddenly became available and they just kinda of took a flyer on it as well, yeah. um, given yeah. everything that had happened. So I, I don't know how much of that was necessarily like a stated philosophy or, or a thought to do that, as much as just some individual things that that kind of crept up and and just some situations they thought they could take advantage of but for sure in those years having you know what were late round first round picks as well I mean that was always part of the deal was they felt like um you know what the Graham year was they would have picked 31st right so they gave up the 31st pick and yep. like are we going to be able to get a player as good as Jimmy Graham with with the 31st pick and obviously they packaged Max Unger as part of that as well yep. um so it wasn't just you know, the one for one there. But, you know, that was sort of the thought was Jimmy Graham's a, you know, potential, you know, that's not a guy, you know, you may not be getting that with the 31st pick. So with the, with the draft in the rear view, the rookies took to the VMAC over the past several days uh, for mini camp. What did you notice? What stood out the most to you during those practices? Yeah, I, uh, a couple of caveats. So they, they don't do as much on the field necessarily with the rookie mini camp as they used to because of the, the way the rules kind of changed a few years ago where all these guys now can be and be part of OTAs used to be the rookie mini camp was a much bigger deal in terms of wanting to try to see them because a lot of these guys weren't, weren't going to be able to participate in OTAs. They weren't going to see them again for a month. So they would really want to have a pretty intensive on field thing. Now, you know, as uh, now it's a little, you know, these, we just saw two sort of 90 minute practices that, that were not super intense necessarily. Um, so it's a little bit harder to read some of some of that out of it, and then you know the kind of somewhat disappointing thing is we didn't really see the top two picks do a whole lot either because they, they limited those guys because they they kind of have some hamstring issues, and again the fact that these guys now just immediately go straight into OTAs instead of having to sit out and not and maybe you don't see them again and, um, until mandatory minicamp or whatever plays into that being cautious too. So um, you, you know the. Uh, we, we get to see an open OTA um, next Monday. And so that'll be fun to see, you know, interesting to see if those guys are kind of back out there and doing a little bit more and be, being able to read more of that. Um, you know, the couple of things that really stood out were, you know, just sort of the size of both Mike Morris and Cameron Young and that each of them are, or, you know, Mike Morris, he, he does look the part, you know, the, all the talk about he had dropped down to two seventy five at the combine and, you know, the Seahawks wanted him to get bigger and be a, be a, be kind of a 3-5 technique defensive end, um, um, you know, a, a guy with his hand in the ground instead of an edge rusher, uh, you know, he definitely he definitely looked at. I mean, he was an impressive-looking guy, just, just kind of seeing him out there. And then Cameron Young, the same thing, you know, that's uh, the nose tackle spot, which can be kind of a really subtle position maybe, but, um, you know, they've always liked to have that big 330-pound guy in the middle and, and you know, with Brian Monet's health situation and, and cutting Al Woods. You know, they, they, they really kind of had a lack of that. So, um, you know, Cameron Young, that was definitely, a, you know, a targeted pick for them to try to get a, a big guy who they felt like could be that. And, you know, he was listed at 304, but weighed three 320, and he definitely looked the part out there as well. So, you know, those, that's probably the two – Two of the most important picks they made, and they they each are sort of mid-round picks. So it's uh, you know maybe it's kind of weird to say that, I guess, but you know they are going to need each of those guys to right now with the team is currently constructed anyway. They're going to need each of those guys to play significant roles. So the fact that they sort of looked physically much more kind of capable of of being the kind of player that the Seahawks want at those spots um, was probably the most noteworthy thing. It was also uh, you know it was interesting hearing Pete Carroll just talking about Jackson Smith and, and Jigba and how you know they really view him as a slot guy. And that's basically where he played at Ohio State. Um, But, you know, sometimes we hear them when they talk about receivers that they're going to line up everywhere or whatever, but they really seem to make it clear that starting out, that's where they really really want him to be and kind of allow DK and Tyler Lockett to play more on the outside and really feel like that could be a really good a really good trio receiving trio form with, with an, especially in Smith and jigmas case, maybe a more defined role coming in. Then they, you know, I don't think he'll always, I don't know that they'd always want to confine him to that um, to just largely playing the slot. But I think, I think to start out, I think they want to do that. So, um, you know, from, from something Pete said that really stood out to me as well.
0: You know uh, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned JSN because he's, he's the one guy that I really had my heart set on after pick five and I I thought it'd be pretty surprising for him to still be there at 20, to not have a receiver go in the first 19 picks in a modern NFL draft is super rare. And, and I think that he, you know, I like Jordan Addison, I like Zay Flowers, I think Quentin Johnson's interesting. There's a couple guys later uh, who I think could be productive, but to me there was a standout standalone tier of wide receiver occupied by one man. And for Seattle to have taken him, I, I thought was so encouraging because Teams that make the Super Bowl have great pass catchers, and Tyler Lockett has been awesome. Adding a third receiver is a rare luxury, but I think it also provides some real security for this team uh, when it comes to the, the twilight of, of Tyler Lockett's time in Seattle here over the next couple of years. So I was really, really pleased with that. The one guy that I was super curious to see how he looked in rookie camp, and granted, I understand how limited the activities are there, but Derek Hall is such an intriguing player to me. That combination, not only of speed, there's lots of kind of lighter stand up defensive edge guys who have a lot of speed, but his ability to transfer that speed into power. Seems to make him a little bit less one-dimensional. Do you get a chance to see much of him at all?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, again, you know, like, especially for the line, it can be other than just kind of looking at what they look like. It's hard to read too much mm-hmm. because you know they're not in pads mm-hmm. and and uh, they're not doing a whole you know th- so much of what we see is just kind of individual individual drills. They're just they're just kind of going through things. But for sure, he's another guy. When you, when you just look at him, um, he, he he does look the part. Again, you know, I I would say that that's the thing about both these last two draft classes is the first impression of all of the, all of these guys is a lot more that they do sort of look the part. Um, And that can be such a cliche this time of year. I I was joking with somebody that I I felt like I saw 115 different uh, tweets about guy, you know, rookie guys at NFL B writers saying so-and-so looks the part, um, you know, at at first impression, but
0: um, you
1: know, going back to some of the previous draft classes that they've had that you were referencing earlier, though, I do feel like there's been some other years when you sort of looked at it That some of the guys and you know maybe you didn't necessarily feel that but with this draft class you certainly did with guys like hall and hall and uh uh, mike morris and and you know all three of the defensive linemen they took um really kind of looking that way uh you know anthony bradford too i I thought you know he just sort of he sort of looked that way as well
0: yeah this this team definitely gets off the bus again yeah you know that was kind of the thing about that 2012 to 2015 team was intimidating getting off the bus. And uh, I I think they'd kind of moved away from that a little bit, but they, they got some studs on this roster. Now, you know, guys that if they were to walk in a room, you'd be like, that's the NFL player. Yeah, for sure.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with yeah. you wholeheartedly on that. This is this is a team that you know. I mean, like, like, like last year, both Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas. First time you saw him, you are like, man, you know, I, not that you didn't know they're not big guys or whatever, but you know, sometimes you see the guys on, especially in the case of like Cross. I I, I, I won't admit to that I watched a ton of Mississippi State games. You know, those couple of years, so I had a little bit of a, a more limited knowledge of him. And mm. and when you saw him out there the first time, you were just like, yeah, this guy looks like an NFL left tackle. The same way that you know, you definitely felt that when. You saw um, a lot of those guys in that, as, as you referenced, in that kind of 2010-11 era.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I'm glad that you mentioned Morris and, and Young, and we got a chance to talk about Hall a little bit because Seattle did start to address the trenches a little bit later in the draft. But I think even those additions left something to be desired in the minds of a lot of fans. And as you and I know, there are still some cap gymnastics to be done. Uh, they've already done some of that with Tyler Lockett's contract. There's a fair amount of unsigned talent still out there. What sense do you get regarding how hard Seattle will be pursuing interior O-line and D-line talent between now and the beginning of the season?
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure. I anticipate a real major move. I, I, I know uh, you, you can look at the contracts of a guy like Jamal Adams or something like that, and be like, the, you know, if they could restructure that, they could open up a lot of move, a lot of money. I, I don't know that they want to do that a lot, and I, I don't sense there's anything they're going to do now. What I do think they're, they'll, they'll do is try to get through minicamp and maybe into early training camp and see you know, really get a sense of what they feel like they have how ready these guys really are to contribute significantly and then that and then kind of go the waiver wire type is there a veteran out there we could trade maybe trade for type thing i um as you mentioned there are some guys that are still available i think probably a lot of the you know some of those guys would still be available in 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 the training camp or, or you know the the or right in uh, right before training camp starts, that's sort of more what I what I see them trying to do is um, you know sort of a you know one year you know for not much more than the veteran minimum kind of thing. I don't know that I see anything really significant. Obviously, you know they are really up against it against the cap. They've always been a team that's been careful about trying to not spend too much money into the future, and they have done a couple of things. Um, I mean, the, the locker thing in particular that, that has pushed some money out, um, but you know I, I think they and obviously they you know they they did sign some guys to some big contracts obviously over the last few years with jamal and and dk metcalf as well and you know they have done some things like that 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 do have some have them spend some money into the future for some guys but i just yeah i don't know that if i see them really trying to you know i I think they would save anything long-winded way of saying i I don't see anything right now i I just i I kind of feel like they try to get into training camp and see what becomes available then and kind of go more that route
0: Totally, totally. And I mean, we still got post-June 1st cuts and all all kinds of things that happen uh, on the NFL calendar in terms of roster construction and all of that. Uh, One one last guy I want to mention before we move on from from that is Shelby Harris, who I thought played really well coming over from Denver last year. I wasn't stunned that they cut him. I was a little surprised. I'm also a little surprised that he's still out there. I'm not even sure he's been taking any visits. Is there any conversations happening there that you're aware of?
1: I don't know that there's active conversations, but I do know they left the door open for his return. So I I do know it's sort of more that. So, you know, I don't know if it's one of those things where if, if Shelby does talk to somebody else, yeah, it'll be like, Hey, make sure you call us first and, and, you know, we'll see if we can match that or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I, when they cut him, I I I know for sure there was a there, they they told him that um, we we have, we feel like we have to make this move now, but we'd be more than open to bringing you back at some point. And obviously a lesser deal than he was getting, and so that's always the tough part for the players is having to try to accept that, and uh, you know maybe he just wants to not have to work during a, during an off season program and and he'll just wait and see until training camp to see if the, you know, something comes available then. So yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all. If he came back, um, wouldn't surprise me if he didn't, but I do think that that door has been, been left open open there. Um, you know, I think it was, I think it was for Al Woods as well. I I think they were leaving the door open there, but I think, you know, he, Al got, Al got an offer and, and, you know, there, there are obviously always feelings involved when, when you do get cut, by a team so yeah. I, I you know players do you know there is sort of the massaging that of a player coming back on kind of a lesser deal so um you know I, I don't think it's quite as easy sometimes it's easy to forget how that,
0: human but, the NFL is
1: yeah for sure and their guy you know and, and guys who are professional athletes typically have you know they they kind of have uh, a, a lot of them you know the kind of the the ego that's there or whatever and um you know that's that's the kind of thing that played into say like Russell when Russell Okun left everybody was like why didn't the Seahawks just give him that offer but Russell Kuhn didn't necessarily want to accept an offer like that from the team he just been with, but it's a lot easier to accept an offer like that from a new team. Um, you know, when sure. you feel like, okay, I'm just going to walk away from that team, but you know, returning to the same locker room, but maybe on, on kind of a lesser contract than you'd had, or that, or, um, um, or that you wanted to get. You know, and having to answer those questions from, you know, the media and just kind of having that be part of the narrative the whole time. Um, you know, it's something a lot of, a lot of times, not only does the player not want, but the organization doesn't want either. But, um, yeah, I, I think they, they would leave the door open for Shelby, but, um, you know, and that's where, again, you know, if Mike Morris really shows he, he, he can do, he can do that. And, and then obviously, you know, they signed Mario Edwards as well. So, so they have signed a guy there that, that, they can kind of sort of do what Shelby did. So, um, you know, does he look the part though? Uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> Is he, is he showing up to camp in the best shape of his life? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So we, had, we. so we'll, the first time we'll see Mario is next Monday. And, and uh, I would imagine maybe they'll make him available to the media then. Um, you know, he, he obviously, um, you know, just signed this Monday. So, um, you know, maybe that precludes bringing back Shelby or especially if they really see, uh, you know, if they feel like they're comfortable there with what they have there. Yeah. Um, and I I know Mario Edwards probably isn't the sexy signing people wanted but I I think in their eyes I think it's a significant one and so I think when they they did talk about you know after the draft when they said yeah we still have some moves to do on the defensive line I think I think that was something they because they had you know he'd come in for the visit in March I think they were in contact with him all along so I think that I think to me I think that was sort of the the move they were foreshadowing there all along when they made some of those comments
0: Sure sure that makes sense and and one thing you brought up a little while ago that I appreciated was after the Russell Wilson trade, Carol and Schneider really understanding this is a two-year process. And I think most of the national media looked at Seattle after that and said this is a full-on rebuild. But they've actually done a really beautiful job of straddling the line between getting younger and staying competitive. And then this past year, they outperformed most expectations. Given that, given the fact that they won nine games, they made the playoffs, they are still so young does it feel like go time now? Like now the expectations are make a deep playoff run, be championship contender.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, Pete turns 72 in September. So, you know, he, he doesn't have a lot of time to, to necessarily rebuild. Not that I think he's thinking of retiring or anything like that. Um, but you know, yeah, I, I, right. I think the future is definitely now with, with this team and this group. And, you know, I, I think to John, I think what happened last year, John Schneider, I think it validated a little bit his overall philosophy. You know, he always talks about building a consistent championship caliber team and having a roster that isn't going to have huge dips. And I think, I think that he feels like we did that. Like we traded away, you know, so this, uh, we traded away a franchise quarterback and we didn't take a huge dip and I think to him it totally validated their their overall philosophy on how they put the teams together um, and uh, um, you know and, and then yeah built, winning the nine games last year and and you know obviously you know this was still kind of a flawed team last year I mean they really just got blown out three times by the 49ers you know so there was definitely a talent gap there uh, that, that needed to be that needs to be uh, closed between them and the 49ers and um, you know, I, I think they they hope they've done that, and then obviously San Francisco's got kind of a goofy quarterback situation too. So, which plays into it, the Seahawks feel a lot more comfortable about right. theirs heading into this year now. But, uh, um, but yeah, for sure, I, I I don't think there's any question at all that it is. But again, I don't I. I I also don't feel like, you know, I think that's where people feel like, oh, you should just go ahead and restructure all these contracts and push out $50 million in cap space to 2025 or whatever to try to win now. And I think what they did last year, I think to John, further validates this isn't why you do that because it's the teams that. Right push money out forever that then have that inevitable oh you know wow we have 60 million dollars in dead cat money and and we can't do anything this year and, and we're probably not going to be that good in, in this specific year or whatever I, I think that I think you know that's that's why they've always tried to resist that as much as they can and and like I say I feel like what they did last year, I think in their eyes sort of validates their overall philosophy that what they've always sort of tried to stick to does work.
0: Yeah. And, and it's just, it's sound process. You know, we've, we've seen teams kick the credit card debt down the road. And and then at some point, if you don't capitalize on that, even if you do, you're left in a pretty rough situation you don't have to look any further than the saints who did that, like five years in a row, the Rams who did that for five years in a row. And you know, they, They've got long uphill battles now uh, to face. The, the Rams were able to cash in on it, and I'm sure everyone involved would say it was worth it because of that. But it's it's a huge gamble because the way the NFL salary cap is structured, it, it can be a long, slow haul back to the top uh, when, when you've done that, especially when you're trading away a lot of your top picks. Uh, Bob, I want to ask you to hop in the time machine with me here for just a second. It was about 14 months ago that – Seattle did pull off the biggest trade in franchise history. They moved Russell Wilson. It was the dominant storyline of last offseason. Now, one year ago, Seattle was just coming off of their first post-Russell Wilson draft. What were your expectations of the team at this time last year? And now that you can look back at that, what was the biggest difference between reality and expectation for you?
1: Well, I can at least say I went on. I went on record. I had to make a prediction for the Seattle Times. I picked them to go seven and ten. So I didn't feel it was going to be a total bottoming out thing because I did feel like um, they had a little bit more. I, I felt like the foundation was a little bit. Um, sounder than maybe a lot of people did, the people who were picking him to win three or four games or whatever. I felt like they, you know, they, that they just had some, had some overall talent. And if Geno Smith, you know, which was always the wild card, obviously, was it, was if, of course, you know, if Geno Smith could play, could play to a certain level, that that, that would, be what would really avoid them kind of having any big, big drop off. Um, But I didn't necessarily envision a playoff berth and, uh, you know, winning, winning nine games and especially winning some of the games that they did early in the year. Um, You know, I can't say I saw all that, but I I never felt like it was going to be that complete bottoming out because I did just feel like there was an overall foundation here that I thought was a little stronger than maybe people felt you know having two really good receivers and and you know what i at that time i remember assuming that the the tackles are going to be okay and that their offensive line might be a little better than it had been and um at you know at that time you know the, the surprising negative last year was obviously that the the defensive front seven sort of struggled the way it did. But, you know, this time a year ago, mm-hmm. you know, they were coming off. They had, they had allowed the second fewest rushing yards in the NFL and things like that. And they had most of that crew back. So you sort of felt like, um, you know, the defense um, would still play to a fairly decent level. Um, and uh, that's what and, – and that with the, the moves they'd made last year in the secondary – um, you know seemed like th- those might be good moves, and then I sort of was under the assumption as well that Jamal Adams would come back fully healthy and be able to play well so I, I, th- you know that was some of what yeah. the uh, the thought process that led me to think they were going kind to of completely bottom out and not all those things happened, and you know they sort of got a much better year out of Geno than I think anybody thought and, and some of the things on defense didn 't work out, and that 's why they ended up kind of being a five hundred team again but I, I, but it, yeah, it did sort of show that the overall base was was maybe not as bad as everybody had thought, but you know i never bought into the idea that they thought this that they were like yeah let's just rebuild um and you know in some ways that's hard to do in the nfl you can't really tank necessarily in the nfl yeah. you know the way you can in other sports i mean it's harder to just like not spend your money or or just get rid of everybody or whatever you know people would have to want these guys or something like that i mean um you know you can't necessarily just always trade everybody for high pay
0: exactly you can take in the nba and get one transformative player at the top of the next year's draft and and you're right back in it but with fifty-three roster spots, and you know basketball. Just to continue that comparison, is becoming more and more of a positionless sport. It's not the case in the NFL. <laughs> like you have very specific roles, and a lot of them that have to get filled. And I think that's what gets lost in the rebuild conversation: is you don't want to go creating a bunch of extra holes in your roster to then go and try and fill. For sure,
1: yeah, and uh, and I don't. I really don't think that was ever really the, the thought process. I don't even think you know they traded russell as we all know a I think the trading of Russell was even more nuanced than you know maybe even we really realized, but certainly than nationally realized. I think you know I think there were just a lot of people thought well they traded their quarterback, they were just committing to a to a long rebuild, but you know they didn't they didn't want to trade Russell Wilson. They weren't ever looking at it like yeah we just want to you know, trade Russell and rebuild. It was you know sort of the complications of the relationship with Russell and them feeling like you know he wasn't going to sign another contract with them, and this was the time to trade him because he had two years left on his deal, so that was the time to get a lot. For him, you weren't gonna get, you know, if he'd come back last year and if he'd have struggled at all, and if they tried to trade him this offseason, they would they weren't gonna get anywhere close to the package they got from Denver. And so, you know, when they got what they did from Denver, um, with Russell being the age he was and Russell making clear he wanted out and wasn't gonna resign, and you know, the 2022 season was probably just gonna be kind of an an ugly, drama-filled thing if they'd have kept Russell um with, with you know nothing but constant talk about his future, which they were already tired of d- during the 2021 season. And, you know, I think they felt like every game in 2021 was being viewed as this indictment on um, or a sort of a referendum on how they're using Russell and is Russell going to be back? And, you know, are they letting right. Russ cook and right. all that? They were just tired of all that. So, um, So, you know, it was much more all that than it was some organizational decision that we're just going to rebuild and start over from the ground up.
0: Man, I was tired of it and it wasn't my job on the line. You know. Yeah. Uh to to that end, did you feel like there was an energy shift in the building after that trade?
1: For sure. And you know, and again, and it's easy to just turn everything into Russell bashing or whatever, but um, you know, I, I, I think I think there's people who in the organization who feel bad that it sort of has become that a little mm-hmm. bit because Russell is a very important player in the history no of this question. franchise. And he did you know, he's the quarterback of the only team that won a Super Bowl. So um I don't think anybody was necessarily happy that that it ended the way it did, but for sure, once it was over, it sort of, I think there was a little bit of a sigh of relief of like, okay, we're moving yeah. on now. And, uh, you know, this was, this was, uh, a relationship that sort of had to end. And, um, and, uh, being able to put that aside you know again i think everybody was getting tired of sort of the 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 just what was going on around russell and that feeling you know i i don't know if it got so so much to that they were worrying about god if we don't call a pass here is this going to be something everybody's gonna everybody's gonna um dissect right. uh, to the minute degree you know are you letting russ um do what he wants here or are you just calling the best play for the team but i think I think there was a little bit of last year of, okay, you could just go back to it's just sort of a team again, as opposed to, you know, everything being sort of centered on one guy and so many questions about one guy. And um, for sure, you, you notice that I think Pete, you know, Pete Carroll is, you know, he's been pretty frank about you know his USC days that's what he got used to was you know every couple of years the, the roster sort of turns over it's a fresh set of personalities it's, it's sort of the newness of you know these aren't guys who are bored with my message or whatever you know you know I can I can talk about this stuff and it's all fresh to them and, and, and they uh, are maybe much more receptive to it and all that and so um, I definitely think Pete really thrived on that challenge of can and I think John did too of, of can you sort of create a new roster that's that can be really successful and obviously it wasn't completely new because they had a lot of you know they did have a lot of high caliber guys coming back with uh you know the Quandre and Jamal adams and tyler lockett and dk metcalf i mean it was not a it was not a a a, a a roster that was bereft of kind of high, you know, elite talent and strong personalities and guys who've been around for a little while. But, um but they definitely, I think felt, you know, they liked the idea of the leadership, I think kind of turning over and, and Pete being able to sort of just mold a new, a new team out of all of that.
0: Yeah. You know, to me, the clearest indication that it wasn't going to be a teardown was when Quandre Diggs was the first free agent to resign because he's someone entering the second half of his career is very established You know, if he wanted to go ring chasing, he would have had, you know, uh, some opportunities to do that. And, and he signed, I think that really sent a message to the team, at least from my perspective that like, Hey, this is, this is not some big three-year wasteland that we're entering. Like, we're we're still ready to go. And, and you know, you, you talked about the defense a little while ago, and I want to hone in on that for a second because there was a lot of discussion surrounding the Seahawks' defensive scheme switch and their struggles to find consistency on that side of the ball last year. But given the addition of players like Draymond Jones, Derek Hall, Devin Witherspoon, you got the returns of Bobby Wagner, Jaron Reed, Jamal Adams. What are you expecting to see in 2023 both from like a scheme standpoint, but also the personality of this defense
1: yeah and, and that's i, I think saying personally the defense i think is a, is a real key thing because i think they felt like that that that's probably what was missing a little bit last year was because they did sort of switch the scheme a little bit you know i think they feel like that's overplayed a little bit you know it wasn't like they totally threw it all out they were asking some guys to do some different things like Puno ford but a lot of guys were being being you know roles weren't necessarily switching that much but uh um I, I, you know they obviously had such a kind of clearly defined personality for so many years there. And I do think like just, just with the turnover of of uh, the lineup, you know, Bobby last year, KJ Wright the year before, um, you know, who were really strong kind of leaders who, who had been around for a long time and sort of were links to all of that. And last year was the first time you really had none of that th- there. And so I do think it, that there was. And then when you lose Jamal Adams, you know, in, in the first half of the first game, and he was the guy I think they really felt like could create a lot of that personality for the defense. And he wasn't there to do that that, um. So yeah, I think they. I, I, I think what they're hoping to do this year is that with the guys who are coming back, they can they can more clearly kind of refine what they're good at and fit it into what they're doing. And then with the guys they've added, And it's interesting when you when you mention like five guys there, um, and obviously they've lost a few guys, um, so it's not completely just um, adding. But you know when you mention all of that, that's like five or six. You know if you if you kind of include Jamal Adams in there since he did, really didn't play last year, you know that's five or six pretty pretty good players that adding to this defense and then if the, then if a couple of those rookies pay off um, aside from Witherspoon, if a couple of the other rookies pay off, you know, that's six or seven kind of new guys who could, who could really create a new, a new personality for this defense and I think that's what they're hoping can happen this year.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you know I, I'm, I'm glad we talked about the personality and, and leadership a little bit because you've been around this team for a long time and you've seen a lot of the ins and outs that have led to the various successes and failures over the years. Given that it's still only May, how does this team in this moment compare to teams of the past, just kind of from a vibes perspective?
1: Well, I think it's, I, I mean, I think there's from, I think the, the vibe is very, very positive. I mean, I think everybody is very enthusiastic and excited about where the overall team is going. I still don't you know. I took over. It's been basically exactly 10 years now. I, I took over in, in May of 2013. The thir- first thing I recovered was the rookie mini camp in 2013. I didn't actually didn't cover the draft. Then we hadn't made that, that change yet, but, um, you know, I don't feel like this is necessarily back to, to that that 2012 thing. To me, when I I remember taking over, and I, I almost just felt like the Super Bowl was preordained. Like I I almost never doubted at all that that team was going to end up in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Just it just seemed like they were so good right. and had such a confidence uh, about them that it just felt like nobody they just they just never questioned at all that that was sort of going to be the fate of that team was to get to the Super Bowl and probably win it. Um, and you know, just with the elite talent that they had everywhere, I don't think I don't feel like this team is back. To To that yet, Um, you know I I think there's a few more question marks with this team and and things like you know what is the defensive leadership in a way going to be you know Um, who you know uh, we saw the captains last year were Quandre Diggs and Al Woods and obviously Al Woods isn't around anymore now you bring back Bobby Wagner and sort of how does that all uh, you know what what is that mix all going to be and and how do they work that in and reintegrating Jamal Adams into everything which you know he's the highest paid player on the team so you you know they they are hoping for sure that Jamal is going to be a really significant part of everything thing. Once he comes back um, and getting Jordan Brooks, hopefully back into that at some point too, for, you know, first round pick pretty big investment there as well. Um, so, you know, from that standpoint, I feel like there's more question marks about this team than in 2012, you know, Pete's tried to make that compare. Pete has made that comparison a few times about feeling like last year felt pretty similar to the end of 2012, but you know, that team had gone on the road and won a playoff game and gone on the road and really should have probably won another one. So it ended up in the NFC title yeah, game. So I don't yeah. feel like they're quite back to that yet, but in terms of the enthusiasm and everything from this team, yeah i think i feel like everybody feels like they've totally turned the page on the russell trade and there's no more talk of uh you know how are you going to survive in the post russell wilson era I, th- I think they feel like they've they've begun to show how they're going to do that. And now it's just taking that next step to go from, you know, okay, we, we survived all that. Now it's thriving and all that, you know, and it, and it's becoming a a legit uh, player in the NFC again. And, you know, luckily the NFC looks, you know, who's the dominant teams in the NFC. I mean, Philadelphia obviously looks, looks really good, but they lost a lot on defense. The 49ers sort of have a, you know, their quarterback situation sort of is up in the air. And then there's not a lot of other teams you look at that you feel like aren't teams Seattle could compete with. So, um, you know, I think I, I think they really do feel like they've got an opportunity to to do a lot this year.
0: Yeah. You know, when you joined the beat in twenty thirteen, that locker room was brimming with massive personalities, right? I mean, you had Richard Sherman and Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor and Michael Bennett and Bobby Wagner and Marshawn Lynch and Doug Baldwin. I mean, these are needle movers, right? That that must have been a very boisterous locker room and and I'm sure that there was a, a distinct hierarchy in terms of the voices in that locker room. But all of those guys are gone. You know, Russell Wilson, of course, too. And with the exception of Bobby Wagner, who's who's back now, as you've covered this team over the last two, three years, who have you really seen step up and take those leadership roles uh, in the locker room in the absence of those Hall of Famers and, and all pros that have moved on?
1: Yeah, I, well, I mean, the, the two obvious guys are Quandre Diggs and, and then Geno Smith. And you know the, the obviously with Geno, you sort of have to prove it on the field first before you can be that leader. I mean, quarterbacks inevitably are sort of right. um, huge. But leaders he, he was well loved before that, right? He was for sure, for sure. Yeah, he was very well liked, and that's why. Once he, only a game or two into it, once he sort of showed that, you know, once he won the job and then showed he deserved to have won the job with the way he played, uh, you know, especially, I, I always really felt like the Detroit game last year was a huge turning point in that, just the way he mm-hmm. played in that game and and that, you know, they were able to pull that game off on the road um, and kind of rebound, you know, after the San Francisco game, people were like, God, you got to bet Geno or, you know, when you get to play Lock or, or kind of reopen the quarterback competition or whatever. And after that Detroit game, I, I felt like, Uh, not only was it the fact that Gino was very well liked, but at that point it became, he is the leader in every way, you know, on the field and off the field. And he really became that guy, Um, you know, and then defensively obviously was, was a little trickier, um, you know, and, but Quandre Diggs is kind of the guy who really fits that bill in a lot of ways, both in what his role is on the field and how productive he's been. And then also just kind of having that, that personality to be a leader like that. Um, But for sure they need, they need, you know, that needs to come through a little bit more on the defense. And like I said, it'll be interesting to see with, with Bobby and kind of how that, how that goes and, and, you know, to see kind of revert back to kind of being that guy or, you know, they get, they, kind of reintegrating some of the some of the younger guys into that as well which i think is what the team wants you know i I think they sort of hope that you know some of the younger guys on defense can can uh can evolve into that as well yeah
0: yeah yeah there's a couple other guys i want to ask about specifically and just kind of their role in the locker room and, and kind of within that hierarchy of leadership um one of which was a superstar almost from day one and and he seems to have kind of welcomed that but is also taking on a little bit more mature role within the team, that being DK Metcalf. And then the other guy that I'm really interested in is Jordan Brooks, uh, another young guy who's drafted very high, potentially as an heir apparent to, to Bobby Wagner. What kind of roles do those two guys have in that locker room?
1: Well, and you, you, yeah, it, the team really wanted them to take much more of that kind of role last year, especially DK when he signed the extension, right? I mean, when he gets, mm-hmm. when he gets that, he becomes one of the faces of the franchise. Um, you know you saw the Seahawks last year it wasn't an accident that he became one of the guys who was talking on the podium to, to the media every single week I mean they did really want to throw a little bit more of that kind of face of the franchise responsibility onto him um, not to th- not to necessarily talking to the media is that big of a deal but but that's the kind of thing they you know they sure, it's still made. the face
0: you're putting on the game
1: yeah I, I, you know and that's I mean that's the kind of thing they had you know Bobby Wagner had done that for years and, and some of the other guys um, Richard Sherman did uh, you know during during his last few years with the Seahawks he was one of those guys they always they, they always kind of spotlighted in that way and uh so they they wanted DK to take on more of that last year and, and become more of that kind of leader you know receiver is always a little bit of a tricky spot to be kind of that uh, that position wise I guess uh um you know that just kind of it's um Um, I don't know how to how to say that, but you know, you always feel like on offense, your leaders are much more your quarterbacks, and and you know, there's always going to be a leader of the of the offensive line, and so you know, you really need somebody to kind of step to the fore there and be the leader of that group as well. I mean, those are really important kind of kind of things that way. Um, But for sure, yeah, they want DK to to take on more that. I think you saw him do that last year. You know, it, it felt like there was a. um, um, you know, I think he was really, really trying to, trying to do that a lot more last year and, and, uh, and become that. And then Jordan Brooks, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, he's another guy. I think they really, they really do want, want to, uh, become that. I think they felt like he was, he was starting to assert himself a lot more last year Then obviously the injury he had is kind of throwing a wrench into that. So, you know, right now it's just him sort of getting back on the field. And so the unfortunate part there will be that, you know, he's, probably not going to be ready for the start of training camp i would imagine he probably starts the year on the on the on the pup list and and you know they kind of they kind of make sure he gets healthy that's you know the whole you know 90 95 of the reason for bringing back bobby is it was to to, was to have a hedge there for for jordan and not having to rush him back so um you know that'll make that a little bit trickier there um from that standpoint but you know i think they feel like he has that in him to, to to be that kind of guy for sure and, uh, you know, hopefully he can get back on the field quickly this year and sort of, um, get back to reasserting himself in that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you would say you feel like he's earned the respect of, of his teammates in that regard.
1: Jordan Brooks. Yeah, for, yep. yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, he's, he's, um, uh, he, until he got hurt, I mean, you know, a tough guy who, who was dependable and been out there all the time. And, um, you know, he, he hadn't yet become necessarily maybe the, the complete impact player that Bobby Wagner had been, you know, the, his role did kind of change a little bit last year with, with, with some of the scheme stuff. Uh, um, you know, I think he, I think he had to adjust to that a little bit and, you know, the, the most tangible thing he had to do was, you know, he had to become that on-field play caller last year. And so even more so than, uh, leadership yes. and sort of a uh, talking to the media way or whatever i mean that was that was really something he had to he had to kind of take over and 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 he admitted there there was some adjustment there and having to handle all of that and, and uh you know so that's I, I think from the team standpoint when they're looking at it even more so than maybe we would think of being a locker room leadership is is, is he had to really kind of take that on last year and and i think they felt like he was he was he was uh um, you know, that's kind of a work in progress thing a little bit. It, it can be for guys. And so I, you know, I, it, and as I say, I think Jordan admitted a couple times that it was, it was a little bit of an adjustment for him and something he had to learn how to, he learned how to learn how to handle along with simply playing on the field. But I think they felt like it's, you know, that's still definitely in him for him to be that guy.
0: Sure. Sure. All right. One last question before we get out of here. This is, you got to make a $10,000 bet on this. Okay, Bob, <laughs> Okay. you are wagering 10 grand whether the Seahawks go further this year than they did last year, don't go as far or have the same result losing the first round of the playoffs, where are you laying that money?
1: Well, I mean, I go ahead and buy into the optimism and and, and think they've got it that, that they'll go further. I, you know, I just, there's some things that have to happen, obviously, and you can look at, you know, they started six and three and they finished nine and eight. So, which is sort of the real team. Is it the one that kind of stumbled down the stretch and, you know, I guess it's easy to forget they lost at home to the Raiders, um, and had some not easy to forget. Yeah. Yeah. maybe not. Well, That one um, hurt. You know, they, they weren't doing that in 2012, let's say, you know, no, uh, that's for sure. So, um, so that's where I, there's, there's reason to, you know, still be a little bit, a little bit like, yeah, this team's got some proving to do, but, um, you know, I, I'd go ahead right now and, and, you know, drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak. And I think they, think they can do that uh you you know just with you know the one thing you look at the NFC west and they should have four wins there with the rams and cardinals i know that then i know those games are tricky especially the rams it it almost doesn't matter what uh, what player is wearing a Los rams jersey that they're just gonna that's true it's a tough time but um but you know they've got some things like that that i think maybe should allow them to to get into a better spot going going into the playoffs this year
0: all right guys you heard it here a ten thousand dollar guarantee from bob condota that the Seahawks are going further in the playoffs this year than they did last year.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll I, I'm leaving open the chance that, that I get that I can revise this later in August. <laughs> no chance, buddy. Kind of no paper. chance. If, We're
0: writing it in cement.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, if, if, if some things don't happen or whatever. Um, of course, see, no, of yeah. course. Bit. Well, uh, listen,
0: Bob. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Sure.
1: I, yeah, I, no, it's fine.
0: Yeah, man. I know covering the team keeps you busy, so it really does mean a lot that you carved out the time.
1: Sure. No, I enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: Of course, of course. And as we get out of here, where can the folks listening find more of your stuff?
1: Um, yeah, just uh, you know the SeattleTimes.com, uh, and uh, you know I'm on Twitter, obviously at B. Condota, and on Twitter and. um, I always try to provide links to every story I do there. So at least if nothing else, so, um, you get the links there and, and, and all that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's uh, just again, seattletimes.com is the, is obviously where all my stuff is.
0: All right, y'all that does it for today. As for us, you can find Mike and I on social media as well. I am on Twitter at @JacksonBevins. Jackson Bevins. That's J A C S O N. Mike is on Twitter at at Mike Barwin. And the show itself is at cigar thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram at cigar thoughts, NFL, on TikTok at @cigarthoughts, on YouTube at @cigarthoughts, and on Facebook at Cigar Thoughts: a football show. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash cigar And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you like the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a quick review. Finally, be sure to check out CigarThoughtsNFL.com to get your exclusive Cigar Thoughts cigars. Or hit me up on Twitter and I'll shoot you the deets. And when you buy those cigars, let us know on Twitter or Instagram with a pick and tell us what you think. Thank you to all of y'all listening for your continued support of the show. We know you've only got so much time for podcasts in your life, and it's an honor to be a part of that for y'all. Please know that by sharing the show on social media and with your friends, you give us the juice to keep making this happen. We will be back soon. But in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends.